My message today is entitled, Chosen by God. I want to begin with a verse, James chapter 1, verse 19. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, and slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, I don't know about you, but if that's not a word for today, I don't know what is. One look in the news, one listen to the latest debate among people, will tell you that the vast majority of people have strayed from the perfect wisdom that's found in the Word of God. People are quick to speak instead of being quick to listen. They're quick to judge. They're quick to argue. They're quick to slander and gossip instead of being slow to speak. That's what God tells us. And believe me, I'm not just talking about political news. I'm not just talking about what's happening in the world today. As people get further and further away from the word, from God, and further and further away from the Word of God, fewer and fewer people, Christians, fewer and fewer people read their Bibles every day. Fewer and fewer people come to God in prayer besides saying grace at meals. We see even self-proclaimed Christians debating time-tested truths in the Bible that it stood the test of time. You know this? The most credible book in history it survived thousands of years, this book, these scriptures. And yet people today all of a sudden, oh, I'm smarter than the Bible. I'm going to debate the Bible. That's just, you know, truth is evolutionary, they say. Truth changes. Your truth is different than my truth. No, it doesn't. And so we have people that get into debates and they take and they try to take the scriptures and they take their own cultural context or their own understanding, or the Webster Dictionary, or some other dictionary, and they try to tell you what the Bible means. And we get so far away from the truth. That's why people are not quick to listen. That's why people are not slow to speak, because people have substituted their logic instead of the perfect wisdom of God. Instead of making disciples of all nations, as we're commanded to do in the Great Commission, people in churches often, are making atheists. And they're making pessimistic doubters of God who interpret the Bible by human logic rather than by the Holy Spirit as we're commanded to do so. Today's message will address a common attack on God and His message. I guess, I believe it's going to be a question that you've asked yourself and wondered why it is that way and how to, how to respond when someone doubts these things. This is a common attack on God and His message, even by believers today, as way too many people get offended by the Word of God instead of asking the Holy Spirit, what does this mean? God, I don't understand why it says this. What does it mean? If I spend time, tell me what this means. That's what we're instructed to do. We're supposed to use the Bible to interpret the Bible, not some other source on the Internet to interpret the Bible. But we need to understand God's heart behind each scripture passage. And so that's what we're going to do today on a, on, a, on a popular passage. We're going to discuss the topic today of being chosen by God. Many are offended when God uses the term chosen in the Bible. 
because they think he's being unfair. They think he's singling out certain groups of people and certain individuals for the title of being chosen. When in reality, few people understand why God has chosen the ones he has in the Bible. For example, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But my guess is when we had a recent uh, Mega Millions lottery drawing, some of you bought tickets. Maybe you bought several tickets. Maybe you didn't buy tickets and thought, gosh, if I wanted, I could do all this. And then we heard that, you know, a couple weeks ago, someone won the, won the prize. Hasn't come forward yet, but someone won the prize. So that person was chosen to be the winner. Wow, I wish that was me. No, you don't. I'm sure you've read all the stories about the people who went to runes. And they lost all the money. They got hounded by hecklers and all the stuff because they did that. So it's not always the greatest thing to be chosen. Would you agree with that? Okay. So before we get all offended and bent out of shape, we need to understand why God chooses certain people. It's not just because He loves them more, but He chooses them for a specific purpose. That's what we're going to talk about today. When you hear the phrase, God's chosen nation, what comes to mind? Israel, right? Throughout the Bible, Israel is God's chosen nation. Does that mean He loves us less? But people don't understand that. If you've read the story of the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, you know that it tells the story of God's interaction with one particular nation, the nation Israel. The Hebrew Scriptures are full of language about Israel's special status as God's chosen nation. For example, as the Israelites are about to enter the land, Moses declares to them, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, he says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. Chosen you to be a people for himself. A special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. So immediately, if I look at that in my own human logic, that's saying that God loves them more. That's not what it's saying. Later, when Yahweh establishes David as king, David reflects Yahweh's special relationship with the nation of Israel by recounting their rescue from slavery. Listen to this, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 23 and 24. And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name, and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land, before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods. Clearly, Israel is God's chosen nation in the Old Testament. But this raises a number of questions before you get into assuming what it means. Here's the questions. Does God favor Israel over other people groups? Also, we know that Jesus extends his love to all nations in the New Testament. But does that mean that there's a contradiction between Jesus and the God in the Old Testament? These issues can be resolved by answering one question. Do you remember when a lot of times when Jesus would, people would ask him a question to ask a question back to them? If you're truly seeking answers from God, don't just look for answers. Look for him to ask you a question back, and then you go search out and pray for it as well. That's what often happens when people get into false teaching, is they're looking for an answer, and then they hear something that's not always from God, and they start to add to their answer. 
But many times God asks us a question which kind of gets at what's the motivation of your heart while you're even asking that question. If we would allow God and expect God to ask us questions, our motivations would be a lot pure so that we could tap into the pure wisdom of God. So here's the key question I have to ask. What was Israel chosen for? Let's remember this question as we look at a few of the key moments when God chooses Israel in the biblical narrative. First, we're going to look at the story of God choosing the family of Abraham. Now, before he was Abraham, his name was Abram. His name changed to Abraham because that's when he was the, when he had the promise from God that many had. He carried promise in his name. So at first, he was called Abram. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. How would you, how would, how would you like to convince your wife, Hey, honey, we're moving. Where are we moving to? I don't know. Let's just drive until we see something we like. You know? That's what God, he, had, he had to be a lot of faith to take his whole land and everything and pick up and start going and, and believe by faith that God would show him a land when he got there. Genesis 12, verse 2. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of earth shall be blessed. See, God tells Abraham that he will make him into an entire nation that will prosper and grow. He's going to have a great reputation and he's going to be secure. This family of Abraham and the descendants later becomes the nation of Israel. But let's stop for a moment and ask ourselves, does the text say that God's per- what God's purpose is for choosing Abraham's family? The answer is yes. The last line of God's blessing to Abraham says, and all the families on earth will be blessed by you. So God chose an individual person, Abraham, not because he loved him more, but because he had a special purpose for him. That through him, through his line, all the families of earth would be blessed. See, when people start to say that God is exclusionary, they don't understand the Word of God. That God may pick one individual or one people group or one group to bless others. It doesn't mean he loves them more. It means he has a special purpose for them. Despite what you think about God being exclusive, like I just shared, or being partial to some some people or some groups, the truth is that God chooses this one family to be the vehicle of his blessing to all people. We are blessed today because of what God chose Abraham to do, to take on the covenant. Abram's name is now changed to Abraham after the story. Abraham means the father of the multitudes. So since he carries this promise that God gave him, now God changes his name. And then we see the responsibilities that Abraham holds as being chosen by God. You remember these events, I'm sure. We remember when Abraham and Sarah finally had a child. God came to them in their old age. Abraham was 90 years old. In their old age, he said, you're going to have a child. Remember his wife's response? She laughed. <laughs> That's not going to happen. And because they doubted God, they went and had a child with, with, uh, Ab- with uh, a handmaiden named Hagar. It was, it was uh, not the child of the promise. So later then God and Abraham and Sarah trusted God and they had their first son, their firstborn son, Isaac. 
So what was the very important first command that God does to give to Isaac? Now, he finally has a child with his wife, and they're approaching 100 years old. And you would think he's going to hold so closely on his promise because all promises of God go through the son. Now we finally got a child. Now we can be the father of many nations. In Genesis 22, verse 2, we pick up the story, and you guys know this. Then God said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. Hmm. How many would agree it's not always the best feeling to be chosen by God? Huh? It's not always the best because God's accomplishing His will, not just answering your prayer. Why didn't God answer my prayer? Well, God has a will to accomplish. Well, why does this happen in my life? Well, God has a will to accomplish. And so the people that He knows, He knows dearly and devoted, at times He will choose you, not because He loves you more, or not because He has more fear for you, but He chooses you to enact something that's going to get bring His will accomplished. How do you think any of you would have felt or responded? Be honest. If God chose you to demonstrate your faith by willingly laying down your only son to be sacrificed. Now, of course, we know the ending where Abraham followed through with the instructions and took, took his son Isaac and laid him down and laid him on the wood and had the flint in his hand for the fire and he was about ready to slay his son with a knife because God had told him to do that. And then all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord came, spoke out and said, Abraham, stop. Genesis 22, verse 12, we pick up where the angel of the Lord spoke, and he said, Do not lay your hand on this lad, or do anything to him, for I know now that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And then Abraham spotted a ram caught in the thicket or caught in the bushes nearby, and he took it up and he offered it as a sacrifice to God right there. Genesis 22:14. And then Abraham called the name of that place where they did the sacrifice, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Wow. Talk about a test of faith. And we think we are challenged when we lose our job or someone treats us poorly. And God tests our faith to see if we will still trust Him through our circumstances. Imagine if God asked us to go sacrifice our child and to be unswervingly steadfast to God, believing that God God is going to have to provide, God's going to have to come through. You see, Abraham was chosen of God, but he was given the tests of all tests to confirm his faith. Maybe it's maybe possibly. It's not the most desiring thing to be chosen. Maybe we shouldn't be so offended when it says that God chose Israel or God chose Abraham or God chose other people. Maybe we might understand God chose them for a purpose, but He loves us all the same. Well, Abraham has Isaac. Isaac ends up being the father of Jacob, whose name is later changed to Israel. Right? Jacob. Jacob had many sons. Okay? His, his name was changed to Israel. He had many sons and who the, they came to be known as the twelve tribes of Israel. This meant that within the promised land, 
when they crossed over the promised land, not those actual sons, but all their descendants or relatives as they lived on, that these 12 tribes would be allotted a portion of the land on which to settle. However, Jacob, not all the sons got land. Jacob had one son named Levi. He was chosen for something different. He wasn't chosen to have a land. Verse descendants land. He was chosen for something different. It did not mean that God, it didn't mean that Jacob loved them, loved them any less or any different. Joshua 13.33 says this, But to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he had said to them. See, the chosen tribe of the Levites did not get to share in the spoils of the promised land. They were not given any land of their own to cultivate and to pass on. They were chosen as priests to minister to the Lord in the tabernacle and later in the temple. They had to be of the line of the Levites or the Levitical priests. Now, God loved all the tribes the same, but the Levites were chosen to be priests to minister to God on behalf of the nation Israel. There were a great many rules and laws that they had to follow continually to keep themselves cleansed and purified from the world so that they could minister to the Lord. This is why the third book of the Bible is what? Leviticus. You know why? Because it's a book about all the ceremonial cleansing laws of the priests for the tribe of the Levites. It contains all those commands that they, all the Levites, all the Levites had to follow to be priests because they were chosen to be priests out of all, all the tribes. But why did God require priests to minister unto Him? The priests offered sacrifices unto God to atone for the sins of the people. On the Day of Atonement, the priests would take two goats and one would be killed as a sacrifice for the sins to the people to follow an earlier command instituted by God that, a, that an animal had to be sacrificed to pay for their sins. The other goat would become what is known as a scapegoat. The priest would lay his hands on the head of the goat and on, over which he would confess all the sins of the nation Israel. He then would chase the goat away into the wilderness. In a symbolic way, the innocent scapegoat Became an innocent goat became known as a scapegoat. That's what we still use to blame someone for something else that somebody else did, a scapegoat. But they would become a scapegoat for the people being chased away. And it symbolized the removal of the sins from the people. I hope you can see the prophecy of this is leading up to Christ. Jesus was the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. Right? You see, the Levites, who were not given any land, were chosen to be a royal priesthood so that they, through them and through their unselfish service to God and to all who came to trust God and obey and worship God, they would be blessed. Exodus 19.5 Now therefore you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, and then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for the earth is mine. Again, notice when we see these verses, it doesn't say that God loves them anymore. But if God has a special job for you, you become special because you're fulfilling a purpose of God. That's what chosen means. You're chosen for a purpose so that others can be blessed. Exodus 19.6 And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Consider this important phrase, a kingdom of priests. 
The role of a priest is to mediate or restore a relationship between two parties. A high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and minister to God to mediate between the people and God. That's why the high priest passed all the sins on to the goat and another another goat or lamb was slayed to mediate, to restore that relationship. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He, The Bible says in the New Testament that He was our high priest. And He went in on our behalf. And He mediated a covenant between God and us. And through the cross by His death, now we have been restored and reconciled to God. So the Levites had to pave the way so that Jesus could be the ultimate high priest to mediate for us. Do you understand that? It would seem that Israel now, since with the Levites and their nation, it would seem that they are in a great position to reveal God to all the nations. They've seen and they've experienced Yahweh's power and rescue for themselves. Yet God's chosen people continue to fail at their task because they wander from the way and they do not follow all the commands of God and they worship other gods and they participate in injustice and oppression. And what they find out is this, because here's another question that happens a lot of time. I hear people say that, well, Israel defaulted on the promise. God tried to trust and they gave them all the laws and they defaulted and so now that it, it comes to us. Because they defaulted, we are God's plan B. That's not, that's not biblically accurate. Do you know why the law was given? It was not given for the Israelites to follow His laws and be perfect before God because no one can be perfect. The Bible says in Galatians, it's not up here, but the Bible says that the law was given as a tutor to bring us to Christ. The law was given to show us that nobody can follow the law. Yes, here's all the laws. It's because the people wanted to be like God back in the garden. So, So God said, okay, here's all the laws. If you're perfect, you can be like me. But we can't. It was not because God's chosen nation, Israel, failed and so it now all defaulted to us. That's not what it's about. It means they gave the law, they could not do it, Israel could not do it, and so God had another way that He had from the beginning of the foundation of the world. The law was given to show people they couldn't do it. But the law is still used for us to show us our guilt, to show us why we need God. The law is used as a mirror for us to line our lives up with the law to show us that, wow, we have sinned. We need God. Because of the sinful nature of men and women and children, it's impossible to completely follow and fulfill the law of God in order to become holy. Thus, Israel's chose, Israel, as God's chosen people, is hopelessly lost. God, you gave us the way to become to you, and we can't ever be perfect enough to do that. We're hopelessly lost. What now, Lord, the only thing that we can do is we have to wait for one to come who can be perfect and fulfill that law. One who can never sin at all. One who can fulfill all those laws. And like that lamb, be a sacrifice to you. That by His blood that He would shed, that He would, he would secure a salvation. That He would take away our sins of the world. Now we have to wait for that to happen, God, because we can't do it in and of ourselves. Sound familiar? I would get, I would uh, suffice to say there's more talk about Jesus in the Old Testament than there is in the New Testament. God had set this plan up from the very beginning, even in the garden, where He would send Jesus to be the fulfillment of these things. So then God sp- speaks to the prophets. 
And he announces one day that God will indeed raise up an individual from the tribe of Judah and from the line of King David. He says he will pick a chosen Messiah who will fulfill this role and reveal Yahweh to the world. Isaiah 49.6. There's a lot of good prophecy in Isaiah. We've been studying it in our, our Bible study this week, our men's studies. Isaiah 49, verse 6 says this, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you, prophetically speaking about Jesus, the Messiah, I will make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation shall reach to the ends of the earth. This chosen Messiah would restore the tribes of Jacob, God's special nation. And he would also bring in new sheep who are not of this fold, other Gentiles around the world. This chosen Messiah, Jesus, we know that he declared himself to be the light of the world, who came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. But it would take the strength of God, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, to allow Jesus to carry this mantle of this calling. Because again, I will say to you, it's not easy to be chosen for God for the things that God has to accomplish. God may cause very unfair things in your life to accomplish something else. This is not in the script here, but there was a man, a prophet of God, his name was Hosea. It's a book in the Bible. Imagine being chosen as Hosea did, because this is what happened. God chose Hosea and he said, I'm going to choose you and I want you to go marry this prostitute. Her name is Gomer. And so Hosea went and married her. And after they got married, Gomer went out and had an affair with someone else and was unfaithful to him. And then God said to Hosea, I want you to take her back. And what it was was a prophecy of God saying, here's my people that I love, Israel, but they're going to be unfaithful to me and they're going to sin, but I'm going to take them back when they repent. That's a promise from God. It's foreshadowing for us. We are all going to mess up, but God is going to restore us. But God had to prophesy that by through Hosea. How would you like to be chosen for that? We should not be getting offended because we hear that God chose someone because God used them for different purposes. God may choose you to undergo a terrible trial. An unfair event, a sickness, someone in your family betraying you. God may choose you for a purpose to demonstrate His love through you. It's not easy. It's not fun. I can tell you as a pastor, God has chosen us for a lot of things like that. We don't like it. But we do it. Because we know it's for a greater purpose. It's okay to say I don't like it. It's okay to say it's not fun. But we have to trust God. God chooses us and He chooses people for a purpose to demonstrate His glory through us that others might be blessed. So Jesus had to rely on the strength of the Holy Spirit to carry the mantle of God's calling. As God's chosen one, Jesus would have to endure persecution, rejection, criticism, false judgment, and eventually be tortured and killed as God's chosen one. And by the grace of God, He chose one to be the this one, to be the path of redemption for all. For all who would call upon His name and come to Him. Jesus was chosen for that purpose. And God chooses Israel and ultimately Jesus. And this results in the exact opposite of God favoring one group at the exclusion of others. Instead, God works out His plan to extend His love throughout all the world. 
to all who would accept the sacrifice of the chosen one. Which brings us to the verse of the crux of our faith, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, not just one nation. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Notice the one verse, that word there stands out the biggest to me today. Whoever. Whoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever trusts in His name. Whoever comes to Him, repents of the sin. Whoever comes to Jesus. Whoever. That's an inclusive word. This is the heart of God. To invite all to the foot of the cross. And yet people who purposely choose themselves not to listen, who choose themselves not to come to Jesus, who choose themselves to use the world's logic instead of the Bible's logic, they are the ones who exclude themselves by their own choices. But for the Christian who believes God at His Word, who comes to the end of himself or the end of herself and admits that they have sinned and they admit their faults and they accept the sacrifice that Jesus made, Personally for themselves, that person, the gates of eternity swing open open wide. Hallelujah. It's a choice we all make. God chooses, we choose to respond to His invitation. But the story doesn't end there. And neither do the responsibilities of being chosen for God. If we understand the high calling of being a follower of Christ, we understand that this life will not be easy. We will face challenges and unfair events. We will be mocked by others. We will be criticized. We will be persecuted in a variety of ways. That is exactly what happened to the early followers of Jesus. They went through great trials and tribulations so that God could accomplish His will through their lives of willing obedience. Paul was chosen by God. Should we say that's no fair that God chose Paul? Do you know what Paul was chosen for? Something very different. Paul was chosen by God to accomplish great things for the nation, for the kingdom. But the idea of being chosen was not a fancy title for Paul. It was not about having a favorable reputation. It was not about having a stress-free life. Paul was chosen for something far different than most would desire. Let's take a look what the Bible says. Acts 9.15. How would you like to be chosen for this? But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a vessel. He's speaking of Paul. He is a vessel, a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Wow, that sounds fascinating. God chose Paul to bear his name before kings and the whole world. But as we know, this chosen assignment would not be an easy one if we look at the next verse. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. That's what he was chosen for. He was not loved more or favored for. It was a specific purpose that God had to achieve. And so he chose Paul for this. Throughout the ages, people have been chosen by God to share his message of salvation to the ends of the earth. But it is no easy task. Do you still think it's unfair that you are not chosen by God to live the life that Abraham lived or that Isaac lived or the Levites or Paul? If you're looking for a title, leave the cross. Go look for it in the corporate world. There's plenty of titles to give you there. 
If you're looking for a reputation and a following, leave the Bible. Go look for it in the many social movements of today. If you're looking for others to choose you for something important in the eyes of the world, leave the church and go enter the political arena. But if you're looking for the one who lived a sinless life but was mocked, criticized, falsely accused, arrested, tortured, and brutally killed on the cross so that he could die the death that each of us deserved, if you're looking for that one, then choose to come to Jesus. If you're looking for the one who defeated death, hell, and the grave, then choose Jesus. If you're looking for the one who can take your life, despite its many limitations and challenges and trials and tribulations and unfair events, and use you to now serve others and to love others and to show compassion and to teach people how to forgive themselves and to forgive others, then choose to humble yourself and bow before the King of Kings, Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, He has chosen this day for you to hear the truth of His message from the heart of His Word. Will you choose to honor and obey and trust Him with your soul for eternity? Heavenly Father, we thank You for the power of Your Word. We thank You for helping us to understand why You have chosen people and groups for purposes. And Lord God, right now we come to You and we, we confess our sins, we confess our judgment, we confess any wrong thinking we may have had on any level. We ask You to restore us and heal us and forgive us as Your Word says. But we also say, God, send me. Use me to be Your light in this world. Use me to share that message. And Lord God, we cannot do this in and of ourselves. We need Your Holy Spirit to complete us. By leaning on You, we need to help us so that we can forgive others who have hurt us. We need You, God, you God to complete us. May we be completed in the love of Your light. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen.